0: Hello and welcome to Women in Retail Talks, the podcast where C-suite executive women in the retail space share their stories of professional growth, leadership development, personal journeys, and more. I'm Marie Albajez, Senior Editor of Women in Retail, a membership-based community of executive women at leading retailers and brands. Today I am thrilled to be joined by Patty Wu, who most recently was the EVP and President of Bye Bye Baby. She's going to share what it's like to lead through acquisitions and go over all the things that nobody teaches you about managing P&L. So Patty, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thanks Marie, super excited to be here. And just, um, I think about the the theme of this show is AKA what they didn't teach you in business school.
0: I love that, yes. And I hope we can kind of go over all of the secrets and and what it's like to be in that kind of executive level where I hear that it's quite lonely. Oh,
1: <laughs> well, if you build the right culture, it won't be quite as lonely. So
0: yeah, well, that's great. I want to talk to you about that as well. So yeah, I, I kind of want to dive right into where we are, you know, we're recording this in uh, the fall. And I know that Bye Bye Baby has had kind of a tough couple of years. Um, And then you know, you you worked through kind of the chapter 11 filing and then acquisition and a liquidation. So You know, out of all of that, of the last two years that you were there, tell me some of the biggest, you know, lessons that you learned from that whole experience.
1: Yeah, definitely, Marie. And I think um, just a few things, just so that you guys have a good understanding of Bye Bye Baby. Um, Yes, I was brought in for the Bed Bath and Beyond turnaround to lead lead the baby business. It had a few challenges in. COVID, but my first 18 months on the business, we actually had a record, we drove to a record breaking year, we reset the strategy, um, we reset our acquisition um, strategy, and, you know, we were able to really start to grow the business. I think our challenge and, you know, what we ran into some headwinds were with regards to our parent company and and some of the um, impact in terms of a tightening credit market. And, um, you know, as supplier support changed that last year, I mean, I, you know, candidly, I was probably um, on a journey with one of the most public bankruptcies um, of late um, in the business world. And I would say, you know, while it was really tough at the same time, and I I was just catching up with a friend about it today, the amount of learning that I got in the last year and managing under those conditions. Um, I am grateful for the learnings. I hope I never have to apply those learnings again, but at the same time, I feel like I'm much smarter and much more prepared, um, for managing, um, you know, in significant headwinds or in a tight economy.
0: Yeah. So I I hope you can kind of break that down for us. I mean, it sounds like the the 18 months that you were the the first, you know, few months that you were there really successful. And then, it sounds like you started putting out fires, huge fires, left and yeah. right, very publicly. Yeah. And so, you know, what are those lessons maybe in a few different categories that, yes, I I hope that you never have to go through that again, but how have they made you kind of a better leader?
1: Totally. I think the first piece is um, focusing on culture. And, you know, we were just alluding to that earlier, you know, because we did take the time and, and as a leadership team very thoughtful about the culture that we wanted to build um, and really putting the customer and our mission at the forefront and having really clear roles and responsibilities and um, really thinking through our why. And I don't don't know if you've read a lot of Simon Sinek, but he always talks about the why, the how, and the what. And um, we we really use that as a way to um, get everybody excited and organized at the work that we were doing. And that really helped drive the results that we saw in the first 18 months. But I I emphasize this because during the last year and all of the hurdles and the challenges, it also made us stronger as a team. And, you know, our retention rate, at least, you know, as we start to take a look at the leadership team level, I had over a 90% retention rate. And it's because we did really believe in what we were doing. Um, The other piece, you know, when you're managing and you've got a large team and you're dealing with all the headwinds It's communication and transparency, and it is making sure that people understand what is happening, um, why it's happening, what to anticipate. Um, Of course, you can't share everything, but what you wanna do is treat everybody like adults so they can make better decisions um, and, and they can know what to anticipate. And some of the things that we did as a leadership team, I mean, I would meet with the entire, we would have all hands every week. Um, And we would just make sure, especially as we went into chapter 11 and the restructuring, just to make sure that everybody, one, got an update in terms of what was happening, but to provide folks with a safe forum to ask questions. I mean, there were very few of us that had gone through a chapter 11 filing, and it was just, it was good so that people could understand procedures, you know, the court situation, and just, understand what, what was going on and also understand what their role was, um, during this time period. And, you know, I think the last piece is just making sure that there is focus. Um, people know what the priorities are and, and I take that back. This is really the last piece and probably the most important thing. It is empathy, right? Um, I think it is just really understanding how people are processing the change and the challenges and, um, really just making sure that, that. People are feeling like they understand what is happening. So hopefully that helps Marie.
0: Yeah, that. I mean, I wrote two pages worth of notes while you were talking and I want to follow up, I think, with a few of those pieces and I, maybe empathy. Let's start with that because that was the freshest in my mind with with so many different personalities. How are you able to, as a leader, show empathy while also, you know maybe showing that you're vulnerable and that you're struggling through all of this too like what yeah. does it really look like for the vast variety of teams that you're dealing with
1: yeah i mean i always think of like um my first team is my leadership team right they're the folks that are leading the functions um helping to drive the business results the customer experience um, together. And I think the thing that is super important, and and I was alluding to this earlier is, you know, leading a business can be a super lonely job. And of course, there are certain things that you can't really have conversations around openly, but at the same time, you can bring your leadership team together to make decisions together. Right. Um, and I think that that's really important because in challenging times, it's It's really critical that everybody comes together and that there's no finger pointing. It is all about you know how do we manage and make decisions together that are going to move us forward. And I think that um, you know making sure that you have strong, you have a culture already that is about um, empowering your team. But I also think you know clarity of mission and purpose also makes that a lot easier, and clarity and of roles and responsibilities. Um, so that you so that nobody is doing dual work trying to solve the same problems. I think that those are those are really critical,, um, you know, in terms of you know, managing under these difficult circumstances.
0: So it sounds like the the culture was already good in a stable place before all of these challenges came about. how How do you get to that place where you, you know you're you're at a point where the culture, is strong enough to stand on its own, no matter what is thrown at you. It sounds like your leadership team was really together. There was none of that, like you said, pointing fingers. How do you how do you construct that?
1: You know, I think part of it is, and I you know, I was brought into the business um, back in early twenty. I'm like COVID has messed me up with time, <laughs> but it was um, early twenty one. I came into the business um to to start the turnaround and we actually filed for chapter 11 in April of 23 and you know when I was brought on I already knew it was going to be somewhat of a turnaround you know part of it was number one is you come in to drive the turnaround and I've, I've done several of these you know sometimes you can come in and you're like I have a mandate for change and you immediately start to make changes but I think one of the things that you have to go in um, as a leader for turnaround is realize that yes, you do have the license to drive the change, but you need to take a moment to understand why the business is soft or declining. What are actually the root causes as opposed to just going in and trying to implement um, a generic playbook? And I always tell people Um, you are never as smart as you think you are and the people, the incumbents are never as stupid as you think they are, right? Um, And I think it's just really important to understand because I think a lot of times it is, you know, the next level down and their direct reports that have a really good sense of what the root causes are. And sometimes depending on, you know, the environment that you're going into and if it is a very top-down culture, their voices um, and their experiences and perspectives have not been laddered up. And so take take the time to really understand what's going on.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's such great advice. And you mentioned you know communication being a real key to helping the whole team navigate yeah. all of these headwinds what have you found is, you know, you mentioned the the all hands meetings every week. What have you found is kind of the best communication method or the one that works best for, for you and your schedule and for, for you and your team?
1: Well, I think um, a couple of things is consistency, right? Um, making sure it's the same time, same kind of forum and making sure that there's enough time to ask questions. And sometimes. You know, maybe there isn't a lot to update the team on maybe there aren't a lot of questions, but we would still have the meetings. Um, and maybe it, it's a moment just to take take a moment and right, like take a collective breath together or recognize people I just I just think having that consistency, I think the other piece is. Um, I always have a, a rule of thumb and that's bad news needs to travel twice as fast as good news. Um, just so that, you know, people can prepare, there are no surprises. I think that that piece is really important. And, you know, also making sure that it is a safe space so that people don't feel like they have to preface the question of like, I have a stupid question or because every question is valid, because a lot of, you know, for a lot of us, it was the first time we ever went through a chapter 11. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I think you need to make you need to be aware of, um, building a safe space for your team. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. I was looking at your, your LinkedIn profile, um, you know, in the last like six months of all of the support that you've given to your team members that you've received. And I see now you're still like posting jobs that are, that could be relevant to some of your Bye Bye Baby team. So it sounds like they had a, a really incredible leader to, to walk them through that. How are you feeling about all of it now?
1: Wow. yeah, that's a big, that's a big question, Marie. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I shared it before. I, I had like, it was an amazing role. Um, the team was doing amazing work. Um, I mean, it was very clear what our why was, I mean, we were the largest baby specialty retailer and we were there for parents to a- answer all of those questions. Right. Um, you know, if you are a first time parent, I always say like when you register for a wedding it's super easy it's like I love toast I'm going to get a toaster but when you find out you're having a baby um, you have no idea beyond the diapers um, the clothing and maybe a breast pump what else to get and they you know we had customers that would come to bye-bye baby and get that get that level of support and um we were super lucky because everybody on the team was really focused on helping the parents, and so I think because we had that very clear mission, um, you know, it really created a lot of magic. And, and what I would just say is, you know, if anybody out there is looking for strong talent, while we were able to get the company successfully sold, um, you know, they didn't take all of the leases. So if you guys need some good retail talent, uh, definitely look me up on LinkedIn, and I can get you connected.
0: Yeah, definitely. We'll we'll put that in the the show notes as well. Thank you. Great. So, I want to ask you about where to go from here. But first, I want to kind of go back a little bit and go through your career outside of Bye Bye Baby and maybe some of the the leadership lessons that you learned along the way. I mean, you've had really an incredibly varied retail career. I mean, you've been at Mattel, Walmart, General Mills, Clorox honest company beauty counter i'm probably missing a few how did you get into this world what really drew you to retail
1: i will tell you guys everybody out there listening to this keep in touch with your old bosses mm-hmm. um i have been incredibly lucky to work in a variety of different roles and have a variety of different experiences because you know, I've kept in touch with mentors, with bosses, and as they are moving to interesting companies, um, you know they'll they'll give you a call, right? And I would really encourage everybody, you don't have to take the usual career path. And I don't know if you if you guys read The Wall Street Journal, in fact, there was an article this week saying c- careers are no longer linear. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm of a generation where if you wanted to be in brand management, you'd have to get your MBA. And back in the day, if you wanted to get an MBA, you had to work ahead of time. And I did a job that I don't know if it even exists anymore. I was like a CPG sales rep. Um, And so I worked at General Mills. They trained me. I had 70 stores and I called on those 70 stores and, and took on more responsibility there because I have been a consumer junkie my entire life. I mean, I, as a little kid, I would love to go to the grocery store and see, what was new on the shelf. And that love of the consumer and thinking through what motivates her and, and why she buys has really been um, the unifying kind of thread through all of the jobs that I've taken. And I think, you know, I am a big believer in um, getting uncomfortable so that you can take on some really cool roles that you would never expect that you would do. To allow you to then take on these bigger roles and just be um, much more prepared, right? Because you really understand fundamentally how do products move from you know from conception all the way down to either you know the digital shelf or the actual shelf and into the consumer's hands. Um, but I, again, and I can't I cannot emphasize this enough. I know so many people that have had. Great jobs, but they don't keep in touch with their managers or mentors. Um, but they are really the greatest source for new roles.
0: And that's something that we get asked all the time. And I think that this is a great example of why we have women like you on our podcast. Is we have so many women who are like, you know, I I didn't stay in touch, and now you know, how do I build that mentorship again? So what does staying in touch mean for you exactly? I mean, is it checking yeah. in every once in a while? I always feel like, you know, if I reach out to a former boss and say, can I have a letter of recommendation, even though I haven't talked to you in a year, it's awkward guilty about it. I feel <laughs> yeah, totally you know, always say yes. Right. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Totally, so, but- so, you know, how do you see it as, as keeping in touch? What have you done, you know, with your former bosses and former mentors or current mentors that, you know, that it, where, where it's not awkward.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I think a few things, and I would just say technology has come a long way to make it so easy for you to connect with um, with people. You know, a lot of times I just send articles and just say, "Hey, this made me think of you." Oh, that's good. Um, and uh, that is that one is easy. It's like it's a text, um, and then just for other people, you know, I try to schedule periodic calls. It's so funny, even um, you know that we're talking about this. Today I had a Facebook memory picture show up and I did a screenshot and I actually sent it to um, somebody that mentored me at Clorox um, because it was a picture that, you know, when I worked in Hong Kong, he had come out to he had come out and we did a market visit together. And it was just a nice way to just have a little bit of a text exchange, catch up on what's happening. I just learned his son has graduated from college, and in my mind, his son is still eight years old, right? <laughs> so um and that just makes it so much easier when you do need some help that you don't feel kind of sheepish as you're asking for it but i think the flip side of it is i think inherently people are wired that they want to help you
0: yeah
1: so i think like i always tell people just you know send a text message pick up the phone and i think the other thing and this is why i am grateful for the sales um training that i did receive is if you don't get an answer back, that's okay. Don't stress about it. You know, there there are other mentors that you can connect with, or you have no idea what's going on on the other side. And maybe you just texted at a bad time. Um, The other thing that I would just say as you manage your career and why I've been really lucky is I've been very overt in terms of what my career aspirations are. You know, you really need to be able to articulate what your goals are and share that with your manager and then also share it with your manager's manager. And I always say, why share it at two levels? Your immediate manager can help coach you um, to build the capabilities to get that next role. But the person who's going to have the purview within the organization and the people moves who can advocate for you is going to be your manager's manager. And don't make sure that you're letting your manager know like, Hey, I'm going to go grab coffee with your manager and, you know, do it in a way that doesn't make your manager feel uncomfortable. And um, but I, I always encourage people to build a relationship at two levels.
0: Mm-hmm. How so. have you found, you said you have really overt career aspirations. How have you been able to kind of form those? I think of so many women who, they're not quite sure how to frame their career aspirations in order to go to that manager or that manager's manager and say, this is exactly what I want, especially if what they want isn't, there isn't necessarily that for them in that company.
1: Oh, yeah, I totally get that question. I, I understand why you're asking that question. Um, I think a couple of things, because sometimes when you can articulate that you want to do something, maybe at that point. At that moment in time, it is not available. But if you really distinguish yourself and get results and um, do it in the right way, uh, so that leadership sees you as a high performer, um, you know, it's amazing what opportunities can come your way. And I'll I'll share a, a concrete example with you. I mean, if you know Clorox very well. They don't do a ton of expat activity right and especially during the time period i was there but there are always special projects initiatives that are happening that are being sponsored at the c level that you as a brand manager or um you know more of that middle management level just don't have any exposure to but if you're able to articulate i mean i shared with everybody at some point in time i would love to do an expat assignment Um, That led to me getting uh, to be the project lead on an exploration for an Asian entry, um, uh, an entry into an Asian market. Um, And then from there, you know, as China started to become a really hot market for a lot of CPG companies, when they were ready to send expats out into the market, um, you know, I was at the top of the list because I had always been very, and you can't be annoying, right? Like, I think it's more of like, Hey, and you're um, you know, depending on how often you're doing career conversations with your manager, that's the time to bring it up. Right. If you're that person that brings up every month, like I want to do this job, you, that's going to get really grating. <laughs> but if you can, as you know, in the normal cycle of career management, just let make sure people know what your goals are. Um, it, I, it, you'd be amazed at um, what the, what opportunities will be presented to you.
0: That's great. So in all of these jobs, how did you know when it was time for the next opportunity, either within that company or onto another company?
1: Yeah, I think um, I always look at your role as For lack of a better term a math equation right you've got to make sure that you are getting as much as you're giving and sometimes you give more than you get knowing that later on you're going to get more but your cup has got to be filled and i've made some choices at times to say you know what it's time for me to move on um i'll give you a really tangible pivot You know, I I worked at Clorox for eight years, um, and I really loved working at that company, and they were the ones that got me over to Asia, and I was um, marketing director in Asia Pacific, but they made the decision at the time to bring all the expats into market, and I had been maybe in market for about maybe two years at that point in time, and I felt like I had really just hit my stride in the marketplace, and so... When they made that decision i actually had a really upfront conversation with both the head of international as well as the coo that had appointed me into that role and i just said you guys know how much i have wanted to be out here and um you know this is a situation where i totally respect the decision of the company but you know my my longer term career aspirations are to build a career out here in asia and they totally understood it and in fact that's how I ended up at my next job. The COO helped me, help make introductions for me to other CPG multinationals in the Asia market um, to let me, you know, to help me find a role so that I could stay in, um, in, in Asia. And I, I think it's one of those things where you've got to have clarity in terms of how you want to chart your career so that you know when you're starting to separate from your career goals and aspirations and when it's just your, it's an imbalance and it's 100% to the company versus a 50-50 match.
0: Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Yeah, I mean, that goes back to what you were saying about, you know, it's not necessarily a linear career path and I think constant evaluation or re-evaluation combined with those regular touches with the manager and the manager's manager, as well as probably those mentors that we talked about of like, what does my career look like right now? What does it look like six months from now, two years from now? I think that constant like analysis is really helpful.
1: Yeah. And you know what I am actually, uh, have you heard of the book Designing Your Life? Yes. I have actually just picked up a copy and I am doing the difficult but much needed exercise of really like, sitting down and articulating what my approach in life is, what my approach for work is to keep me honest because um, you know, after we did the sale of Bye Bye Baby to a private investor, I made the decision to move on. And I think part of it is I wanted to give the new owners a chance to really drive the business the, the way that they wanted to and to allow myself to take a look at you know what else is out there because I think you know they have um, a different vision for the business. And so I'm doing that really difficult exercise. I don't know if you find it difficult. I find it really difficult to be introspective, especially when you're like type A and you're always into the doing, right? Um, To take a step back and a pause and just to say, hey, what is my approach to life? What is my approach to work? And are they complementary? Are they contradictory? Um, I'm doing that right now just to make sure that, you know, as you go through the recruiting process, you can be swept up in the romance of it all. Um just to make sure you know you're choosing the right next role for yourself.
0: Yeah, I love that. My neighbor and I were just talking about how we're both so busy at work right now and how it's it's been good for us mentally because if we don't have a lot to do then we sit there and we're like what am I doing with my life and then we just spiral right exactly and so yes that introspection is also very difficult for me I suspect it's difficult for a lot of women listening so thank you for sharing so how how do you feel like it's going so far can you reveal any any lessons or any like findings that you've had so far in reading the book Well, what I
1: really appreciate is, um, you know, they literally have exercises mapped out, um, to make, to force you to do the exercises and to answer those questions. And, um, you know, and I also just appreciate how there is that check-in to your mental health and balancing you as a whole, because the other thing I, um, am a big believer in is, is making sure that, you know, while you are in a role that you take time for yourself and take vacation so that you can recharge. And um, that's what I appreciate about, about this book is it is helping you start to think about, hey, how do you manage your whole self? Um, the other piece is, and some of the folks who might be listening to this may also be out there looking at roles. I really love this time because it really allows you to explore. It gives you the license to reach out to people and um, maybe get to meet people that you normally wouldn't get to meet um, and have conversations and just start to explore different roles and um, different fields. And what I like about this is thinking about, hey, based upon my background, you know, how could I apply that in a different way um, into a new industry? So um, yeah, so it's been fun exploring. You know, I just spent today in New York City. It's um, the UN is in session. It's climate week uh, because I'm exploring. Somebody invited me to participate in a climate lunch. And it was great to have that conversation because there were a bunch of people who do, you know, sustainability roles within a company. But I was able to bring kind of the PL piece of it um, and that perspective to the conversation.
0: I think what I'm hearing you say is kind of throw the doors wide open at any point, but especially if you're stuck to say, you know, what is it that I'm not, that I'm not looking at if I've been in marketing my entire life, but can I be open to something else that is appealing to me? That is completely not in the realm of, you know, my past five jobs or my entire resume. And I love that for you. Absolutely. And you said it much more eloquently, Marie. So thanks. (laughs) I don't know about that. Well, you know, in the last few minutes that we have, I mean, you have already given us so much advice, but I want to just kind of throw this question out there. Um, You know, we talked a lot about mentoring and I'm sure that you are a mentor to someone else who might be in the younger generation. But, you know, as people are listening and they're they're looking to develop a career such as the one that you've had and maybe get to that C-suite or get to that SVP level, what are some things that you think the next generation should be the next generation of of female retail leaders specifically should be focusing on you know if they want to get to that that breadth of career
1: yeah i think a few things um number one always be intellectually curious and always be learning Um, especially if you are in a consumer driven business, I always tell people, it's like, you've got to be on the latest social media and using it. Um, and just, you know, seeing and observing, like, how are people getting their information? How are they engaging? So just, just stay intellectually curious. Um, I think the second thing that I would tell folks who are coming up in, um, in, in their careers is. Be kind to yourself and give yourself some grace. I know, again, I'm going to mention this whole like type A personality. You will always be benchmarking yourself to um, your peers. And what I would, I always tell people, everybody's on their own career journey. And sometimes you'll go super fast and you're going to pass a bunch of people. And sometimes you're going to be in a role and other people, it's going to feel like other people are passing you. But there are times when you want to go slow so that you can allow yourself to go further. And I'll give you a good example. So, when I did work at Clorox, um, I came in in a non traditional role in strategy. And, um, you know, I really wanted to have an expat assignment. So, they told me I either had to go into marketing or I had to go into finance. And at that point in time, to go into either of those roles, they were telling me I'd have to go into an entry level um, position. And I think for a lot of people, they would have said, no way. Um, And, you know, I decided to take a, a step back in my career and take that role. But I'm so grateful that I did it because it allowed me to, you know, one, get that expat assignment but it also gave me the training that I need that allowed me to do all of these other future roles. And so sometimes it may feel like a step back, um, but if you can set it up so that you have a finite period of time, the company gives you the resources and the mentors to help you accelerate, um, You know, while you're taking a step back, knowing like, hey, this is gonna help me accelerate my career going forward, then I, I definitely think it's worth it. I have also taken roles where I have convinced myself that, oh, no, actually changing over to this company is going to be a good thing, even though the title feels a little lower. Um, And I've done that as well. And I always tell people, don't sell yourself short. If you don't have the guarantees, you're going to... for me, maybe I shouldn't say you. What I would just share with the folks out there is that um, I have taken um, what I thought might be um, a step down with without the safety net and it definitely um, was a step down and I, I was kicking myself for it. So I think you have to be really careful as you make moves from companies, really pressure test it to say, am I moving over laterally? Am I getting a promotion or am I gonna get option value? and make sure it is leading towards what your career North Star is.
0: And it sounds like a bit of advice within that is trust your gut. Like if you know that it's, it's not, you have that feeling and it's not, you know, exactly what you thought it would be. It's also okay to, to leave. I think we have this we have this idea that, you know, you have to be in a job for a certain amount of time in order for it to look good on your resume. And we we had a speaker the other day who, you know, had that exact same thing happen where she took another job, moved her family out to a different state and quickly realized that it was not a good fit and could not, you know, stay any longer and ended up quitting and being unemployed. And it has led to much greater things for her. And so it's, it's back to what you were saying about that non-linear career path yeah. and, and also not worrying so much about the title. I think you said as well. Totally. You know what, Marie, I just
1: want to build on that because I think that that is such a great um, case study because I think a lot of us are taught you need to have the grit, you need to stick and stay. Um, you know, my my parents are Chinese immigrants and if anybody's Asian out there listening, you'll you'll relate to this. It's they, there's a concept in Chinese called eat bitterness. Like you just take all the lumps, right? And you just stick and stay until it pays. Um, but there is a lot of new thinking. And if, if you're a poker player out there, you know, the the best poker players know when to fold. Um, and there's even a Kenny Rogers song, The Gambler that talks about that. But, um, but it, is, it is kind of, you know, the newer thinking is, yeah, of course you wanna have grit and resilience, but you also wanna be smart enough to know Um, when are you, you know, when do you need to cut your losses and cut bait, um, and move on? And so I, I love how you, you've interviewed somebody that is, that has talked about that because I do think that that's important because I, you know, not, I see a lot of women stay in roles longer than they should. Um, and I see guys moving on so easily. So,
0: yeah. Yeah, And it's like, you know, it's what you said, if you apply all of the advice that you've given us over the last 30 minutes of, you know, staying in touch with your mentors and your old bosses, having a career plan, making that introspective look at, you know, where is my life going, my career going, and then having those touch bases with the manager. I think all of those things combined can really help you figure out, you know, and trusting your gut and figuring out what the next step yeah. is. So. Can I
1: add just one more thing? Sorry. Yeah. And that is... Um take the time to help each other right um i think that you know um it's all about paying it forward and i've been incredibly lucky so you know i always make the time if somebody reaches out to me to help somebody out and you never know it might also help you out i just did a reference check for somebody and then that person that i did the reference check with actually mentioned oh we're recruiting for something else right so you just never know when the opportunities are going to come up
0: Mm-hmm, for sure yeah don't necessarily look to someone or don't disregard someone who might be of a lower title or less experienced than you because yeah. they're you've got a wealth of knowledge too well patty thank you so much i think we we summarized as best we could i cannot wait to go back and re-listen and kind of pick out all of the great advice that you gave um anything else that you want to add before we close
1: no that's it i well actually you I mean women in retail leadership, it is a fantastic organization. And I have just I have just really appreciated the relationships um and the folks that I have met through this organization. So I keep on doing what you're doing, guys.
0: Thank it's you. Really Thank awesome. you so much for the shout out. And yeah. I, I wish you the best of luck. I was I can't wait to see. Where you go next, and good luck with the with the book. I will put it on my library hold list, and uh, good luck with the redesigning of the life. Okay, thanks, Marie. Thank you so much, Patty. Take care. Thanks for listening. For more information on this podcast, please go to women dot slash podcasts for show notes. Women in Retail Talks is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Stitcher and Spotify. Make sure to subscribe on our podcast channel page as well. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a few moments to rate and review our show. Lastly, if you're a female retail leader interested in joining our community at Women in Retail Leadership Circle, visit womeninretail.com slash apply. Thanks. And until next time, this has been Women in Retail Talks.